Occult Confessions is brought to you commercial-free through the generous support of our patrons. Visit occultconfessions.com and click on Donate to help keep the history of the occult on the digital airwaves. The simplest definition of the succubus and incubus are that they're demons that have sex with humans. But this makes them remarkably complex creatures from a theological and metaphysical perspective, because demons, according to tradition, do not have physical bodies, whereas sex, according to tradition, requires physical bodies. This seems like a simple enough problem to solve. Demons don't have sex with humans with physical bodies. They must use their spirit bodies to achieve a similar result, like Dan Aykroyd getting sexed by that ghost in the first Ghostbusters, or Zool possessing Dana. We're off the hook. Problem solved. Except for one line in Genesis, perhaps the most important line in the philosophy of sex demons. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. I'm using the King James Version here because I like how it sounds better than the newer, more accurate versions. Those tend to use Nephilim in place of the word giants. Either way, a special breed of humanoid creature has been created by the sons of God, who are significantly differentiated from the daughters of men, marking them as something other than purely human. Most commentators through history have read the sons of God to mean the angels, more specifically the angels who fell with Lucifer, better known as demons. So it's not enough for demons to have spirit sex or borrow a human's body. In order to beget superhuman children, they need to do the sexing themselves with their own demon sperm. But the fact that we don't see demons wandering around like cats sitting on countertops or playing tennis or ordering McNuggets at the drive-thru is a nagging problem for the idea that they just have demon bodies and demon sperm that can make demon children. They're literally not a feature of the physical world. Demons, that is. And going back to before the medieval period, they've made their presence known in possessions, which shows that they can inhabit other bodies. A thing that someone with a body can't easily accomplish, on account of we'd have to figure out what they did with the body they left behind. After all, no one has ever happened across a bunch of comatose demon bodies in the woods astrally projecting themselves into peasant farm girls. The succubus and incubus are clearly far more complicated than they seem on the surface. Bolt your windows. Hang your herbal charms on the doorframe. Today, on Occult Confessions, we wander into the incredible mystery of sex demons. My name is Rob C. Thompson. I am the supreme hierophant of the secret order of alchemical actors. I am joined by Jacob Wheatley. Hello. Jacob is our knight of the dangling serpent. Mm -hmm. That is And I. as... Well, what was that? I said, that is I. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Appropriate for today's topic. Mm -hmm. um, and as is customary here on A Call Confessions, our Grandmaster, Olivia Literal. Hello. It's me. It is I. <laughs> it, is, it is also you. Oh, okay. It is also I. Yes, it is also I. <laughs> uh, you guys ready for these sex demons? I am always ready for sex yeah. demons. <laughs> like that's true like you're prepared to welcome them or you're prepared to ward them off um i would say welcome oh. them honestly okay yeah be careful what you wish for you may not like all the sex demons you meet today hmm. <laughs> we'll see but at least one of them yeah you might at least one all it takes is one right yeah if there's a room yeah. full of uh i don't know a hundred people whatever that quote is it only counts about the one right uh, what only counts? It, as long as there's one person in the room. Uh, the, I don't know. It's something about 99 people don't matter or something. <laughs> that is, that is. I do have that. I stitched that into a pillow. 99 people don't matter. <laughs> but the one does. <laughs> I just keep thinking about that. Uh, what's that song? 99 red balloons. 99 luft balloons. Yeah. Th they don't matter. They don't matter either. They don't. It's only that one balloon that matters. Yeah. 
We the members of, of the, the secret, secret order, order of alchemical actors to do solemnly commit ourselves to a full, to a full and honest telling of the history of the occult as far as, far as, we, as we know it. Okay, I accept that. <laughs> it was, that was okay. I mean, it was all right, but... <laughs> It is. It, it is. It's what it so is. much better when I just like. I just gotta Bulldoze like plow it, through. Baby. I. I, yeah. I mean, it is the. We're, we're heading into Halloween season, which is very exciting. Uh, we're all wound up. It's spooky time. We're doing the demons. We're thriving. Doing demon talk. Oh, yeah. Um, but we are still quarantined uh, because no matter how regulations change in the state of Maryland, and they're slowly opening things up, the theater where we generally perform is closed and uh, i just read this morning the metropolitan opera opera has canceled their season for the year so Mm -hmm. it's tough to get into performance venues um so we're hoping very much to get into our theater but uh it it seems like we're going to be doing this this style for a while so look forward to the pledge my friends continuing to sound a bit like that yeah (laughs) open up those plugs olivia (laughs) plug 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 yeah, we got a handful of folks to uh, welcome into the patron community today. Uh, first of all, Kim A. Also, yes, Kim. Yes, Kim. Yes, uh, Kim. <laughs> uh, Mark P., who's listening to us uh, during five hour drives for his job. Oh my God, that's insane. Yes. Yeah, so, um, what, that he's listening to us? Five hours? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, both, but. Well, <laughs> I was just thinking that's a. What a drive. Okay. We've got Lauren S. And uh, nothing for a little bit of love for Lauren. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I was just thinking about that five-hour drive still, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> I was like, where does he possibly work? Um, anyway, yes, Lauren. And welcome. Finally, welcome to the fam. Welcome to the fam. And a pledge bump from Amy M. Thank you, Amy. Uh, so yeah, we've, we're getting pretty caught up here. Uh, so do consider joining our family of patrons. Uh, you know, it, it strikes me that we don't mention this very often. We are basically a nonprofit podcast. Um, we don't... It makes us sound so much fancy. <laughs> it does. Yeah, but, but but really, we don't have commercials. I, I just started listening to... Like, I've been out of podcasts lately, which is odd since we have one. Getting back into them. Uh, like I fall, I fell off the wagon for a month, so I'm getting back into listening to podcasts, and you know. Well, you were like editing. Yeah, I, yes, know, I've been very. That's true. So. I've been doing a lot of listening. <laughs> the point I'm trying to make here is, uh, I've been listening to some podcast. I'm not going to mention a podcast by name, but I've been listening to some that I have enjoyed for for years now. Uh, but the commercials are sort of just getting crazy on these podcasts for you know whatever service. We don't do that at all. All you have to do is put up with us talking about our plugs, and that's it. We're done. Then we get into the episode. Because yep. uh, we don't have any commercial sponsors. We're not beholden to any commercial sponsors. We say what we want, um, and we say apparently what our patrons like. Our patrons just are the people who support us. They don't tell us what to say. They're supporting us because they like what we're saying um, and the topics that we're covering um, and how we cover it. Uh, so if if you've been enjoying, please do consider at any dollar amount uh, just lending us a bit of support uh, every month all, all the money that we get is going back into the show uh, our patrons really helped us through quarantine because we have had to get enough equipment to make sure people can uh, record from different areas uh, they've helped us launch our new show um, and they're helping us move on to youtube slowly but surely uh, so as we gather patrons we're also moving toward developing more content on youtube and now we've got the new show um, and the next step would be to add content to this channel right here um, so do consider uh, joining the crew all right yeah <laughs> That's 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 my piece for the day. We can close up those plugs. Come join the fam. Oh, plug, plug, and plug. All right, we're going to start today's discussion with the Malus Maleficarum. That's oh, a fancy name. I like that. <laughs> yeah, I could never ever say it. To no. be totally honest with you, I can't ever. You're like, get what's it your right. nickname, bud? <laughs> Malus Mal. 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 Just bad. <laughs> Mal Mal. No. It is a much maligned book. Um, it's a book that I'm, I'm sure many of our listeners have heard of. If you haven't, it's okay. I'm going to tell you all about it. Um, it in which communities, Wicca communities, it is very much maligned, uh, bec- but it is nevertheless also very influential on the topic of demons and the humans who love them. Uh, since the author of this book makes some very bold pronouncements on those subjects. 
The book's approach is so bold that its author, witch trial enthusiast Heinrich Kramer, actually ran afoul of Germany's Inquisition, uh, which ended up condemning the book itself. So it, it was even too extreme for the Inquisition. To that end, he included the name of the respected Dominican friar Jacob Sprenger as a co-author. Some of you uh, may remember Sprenger came up in our alchemy episode on Dr. Faustus uh, as uh, one of the Dominicans who was supporting the cause of Albertus Magnus becoming a uh, saint. So Sprenger probably had no role in the book's authorship. Um, and likely even disagreed with much of its contents, but Kramer just went ahead and stuck his name on there. <laughs> like a like a good person does. Say, this is mine. Right. <laughs> yes, yes. So, like the voices at the end of every episode, we make all those names up. Yeah, they're not real. Those, those, no, they don't even know when they're recording for us that this is an occult podcast. They don't agree with anything that we say. No. <laughs> so... <laughs> So the Malleus Maleficarum comes by its a grim reputation fairly honestly. It was published in 1486 and took up a central place in establishing witch beliefs during the late medieval period uh, and also during the Renaissance. It makes wild guesses about the practice of witchcraft. It propagates a flavor of misogyny that led to the persecution of women on the margins of their communities, and when used for its intended purpose, literally offered up a guide for conducting one of the Western world's most ill-advised judicial proceedings, namely the Renaissance witch trials. The Malleus Maleficarum, which translates as Hammer of the Witches, um, although controversial in church circles, was widely used in secular courts and is very much the product of a time period of great spiritual and religious conflict and upheaval brought on by the major cultural changes wrought by Renaissance thinking and also Protestantism. Ever afterward, it has often been misused by less-than-critical historians as a guide to actual witchcraft practices, even though it had, at best, a tangential relationship to the folk traditions it criticized. I'm speaking here, I'm being sort of coy, but Margaret Murray is the most famous person to misuse the Malleus. It's really a better guide to the church's evolving opinions on the devil's role in human affairs. That's what we're getting from the Malleus. And we can only guess at how it related to actual witchcraft practice. The Malleus Maleficarum is concerned with incubi and succubi for their purported interaction with witches and wizards. <laughs> yeah, they use the term wizard. I, so this is very Harry Potter. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> This is the deleted scenes from Harry Potter. Is when the incubi and succubi come in and give them <laughs> yes, yeah. their powers. <laughs> yeah, yes. Well, I mean, sex them up, to be honest. Mm. You're a wizard, Ooh. Harry. You're a wizard, Harry. In the days of the pagans, these creatures were called satyrs and sirens. So if we're thinking back in the ancient days... Incubus and succubus fall in the middle of a demonic hierarchy ruled over by Asmodeus, the demon of lust. They are finicky in their sexual relations. Uh, they eschew sodomy and engage exclusively in heterosexual abominations. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Got out of that one. <laughs> <laughs> so ironically, Jacob, in a room of 100, 100 incubi and succubi. I'm not targeted or what? You get a zero. Yeah, you got zero. Yeah. You got zero friends. Man, I really should have told them back in conversion therapy that they got it wrong, buddy. <laughs> the demons are only heterosexual. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Damn. Kramer puts out a system for demonic impregnation that is sort of ingenious. And he spends the first... That's the nicest thing I'm going to say about him. And he spends the first several chapters <laughs> of the Malleus defending that system. He says that a devil can possess a body but not give it life, since life proceeds from the soul, and life is required to beget offspring. However, the devil can preserve the human semen in a body and use it to pass on life. If the introduction didn't already sort of provide enough of a warning, I'm going to say semen a lot today. Okay. Thank you, I guess. It's that kind of day. <laughs> I mean, and sperm. I'll be talking about semen and sperm more often than I generally do. <laughs> <laughs> is this a trigger I, warning? I, it's, yeah, it's a little just, late. Yeah, I've already said sperm like eight times. It's a weird trigger yeah, it's warning. It's late, late in the day. I guess it's a good one. I don't know. All right. Trigger warning. I'm going to say semen and sperm a lot. I'm going to keep a tally now. <laughs> I got to be up to like four, five, six. 
the body we're talking about here is, of course, a corpse. So it's a corpse that the demon is taking the semen from. The demon possesses a corpse, like sort of a walking dead puppet, and uses the sperm left over in the dead man's testicles to impregnate an unsuspecting necrophiliac. He's just recycling. <laughs> Reduce, reuse. Oof. Can I say that? Is that, <laughs> is that too dark? I don't think yeah, it's dark. I mean, it's just, I, I cringed a little bit. Okay, that's yeah. pretty dark then. <laughs> the, our necrophiliac fans, please write in. Please don't write in. Oh, let us know. I, mm, don't let us know. I don't think I'm ready for that right now <laughs> in my life. Too spooky, too spooky. Yeah. This blend of sex, death, and evil feels like a first draft for what will come to be called a vampire. But uh, That's what I was thinking, like a psychic vampire almost is what I was thinking. Uh, yeah, yes. a, a normal vampire is more <laughs> apt, I guess. Because the vampires are anxious to sex you, and they incubus you with their teeth. Yeah. Oh, I've seen Interview with a Vampire. Yep. I know. Well, I mean, the whole True Blood series really revolves around this premise, right? I've never seen that. Really? It's no. Shocking. Why would I watch I, it's that? a it's no, a fantastic it's not. show. It's not. It's not shocking. <laughs> Jacob and I are all on board with the True Blood. Oh yeah. You also are on board with Teen Wolf. That's. Oh. I will say that I have watched Teen Wolf. I'm not going to like promote it to our listeners though as a thing they should watch. I'm kind of mm. shocked to hear that. Not gonna I lie. Like, I like trashy teen dramas. It's my thing. Ah, that's why you hung mm. out with us. <laughs> I like trashy historical dramas. <laughs> yeah, you guys were my trashy teen drama till you all outgrew it. I don't need cable oh, anymore. Wow. Uh, <laughs> now it's just adult drama. <laughs> yeah, that's less fun. Hmm. It involves taxes and stuff. So, <laughs> getting back to our cadaver, if it's making us all a little queasy, and it is, there is another method that the demon might use to engender a child in a human womb that does not entail any Weekend at Bernie's-style hijinks. <laughs> it may be argued that devils take their part in this generation not as the essential cause, but as a secondary and artificial cause, since they busy themselves by interfering with the process of normal copulation and conception by obtaining human semen and themselves transferring it. For Kramer, the demon is not the hyper-gendered creature we've come to experience in popular culture versions of Incubus and Succubus. The demon is a hermaphrodite, slipping cleverly back and forth between male and female. They're getting more on board here with Jacob, right? (laughs) Yeah, I mean... (laughs) Queering the demon. We're queering the demon. As you should, I guess. Wait, so I know that Incubi and like Succubi, the only difference really is the... Incubi is more of like the term for a male demon. Yes. Whereas succubus is more of like female. But if so, we if we ask Kramer, there isn't even that distinction. Every demon okay. that is a sex demon is both. Just depending okay. on like we would call it an incubus when it decides to manifest male parts, and we'll call it an incubus when it manifests female parts. Uh, that makes more that sense. Makes sense to me. Yeah. So the devil is succubus to a man and incubus to a woman. Mm-hmm. She starts this procedure in her female form as a succubus, draining the semen from a human man. Then she becomes a he, and as the incubus transfers the semen into a human womb. It's sort of like a clever little system. See that? As if that isn't kinky enough, Kramer says it's also possible for the demons to pass the semen between themselves. So you take it from the cadaver... You pass it to your oh, friend. You have sex with mm-hmm. another demon. Yeah. The two demons have sex. Yeah. Pass it between themselves, and then that it, can, it's can like playing telephone. Well, that's t- yeah, that's twice as much fun, right? <laughs> <laughs> Unless that's the fun of sex demons, they could just be using a measuring cup, though. I mean, it's entirely possible. Um, but oh, like a, it's okay. it's it's probably a multi partner demon orgy, though, right? Don't you think? Like. Odds I are. would hope. That's in my world, yeah. 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 That's what it is. So Kramer emphasizes that while God has dominion over most of the human body, he gives the devil a special place in our genitals. <laughs> and our hearts. Amen <laughs> but, to that. But, but mostly our genitals. It is through okay. our penises and vaginas that the devil works to change our minds or transform our bodies. For through the wantonness of the flesh, they have much power over men. And in men, the source of wantonness lies in the privy parts, since it is from them that the semen falls, just as in women it falls from the navel. 
Kramer's answer to the question of whether it is giants or supermen engendered through demonic copulation is that demons are capable of scheduling their fornication in such a way that the astrological conditions assure that they will beget particular kinds of men. Today, the meaning the late medieval period, that today, those men are no longer giants, but rather witches. So that's how you make a witch. You have to do it at like a specific time. Yeah, so he's basically <laughs> saying that demons, because they're using just human sperm and they're just passing it to a woman, it just seems like they're just making normal children, right? Mm-hmm. But because they line it up with the stars, like on the most evil of nights, then they create a witch. <laughs> I just picture oh, okay. they're like, all right, we're going to have a little uh, Taurus baby at this time. Yeah. <laughs> but at the an evil Taurus baby. Are they all evil? I don't know anything about no. this stuff. Well, there you go. So it's evil Taurus. So you need the most evil day of the Taurus schedule. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> I'm writing this down. <laughs> yeah, please. Just in case. In a side note, Kramer suggests that if we'd like to know more about Incubi and Succubi, we should read Bede's History of the English or, bafflingly, I just had to, I just had to add this. Thomas of Brabant's About Bees. Now I need to read about, that book. What About bees? What about bees? So What is it? Uh, I, I know this is weird, right? That, 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 I, that's why I had to bring this up. It's a bit off track, um, but it was too weird for me not to dig into a bit. Uh, you know, I knew Olivia would be curious. Um, I'm, yes. I, I didn't want to read About Bees, though, so that's where I, that's where I drew the line. But I found out about the book. So, Thomas, better known as being of Cantimpre, he's Thomas of Cantimpre, C-A-N-T-I-M-P-R-E, Cantimpre, he was a medieval theologian, and his book, better known as Bonum Universale de Apibus, which is just Latin for about bees, uh, (laughs) he used bees as an allegory for how society should function. Oh, my God. Yeah. So it's not just a story about bees. He, like, watched the bees, and then he said, oh, we can learn about human society. <laughs> I take notes on this. <laughs> it, it took two books for him to do this. He laid out proper behavior for superiors and subordinates. This was also one of the earliest texts to articulate the false blood libel theory that Jews murdered Christian children. About bees, again. Just bees? It's about bees, yes. Isn't this wild? Oh my god. And apparently it had something to say about incubi and succubi that inspired Kramer's own ideas. Super weird. Super, super weird. All right, then. Let's get on to uh, our favorite of the demonological monarchs of Europe, James I, also known as James VI. (laughs) I've sort of been, like, teasing at James I for a long time now he comes up in different episodes and and this is i'm going to go ahead and explain what this guy's deal is so he is a significant figure in religious history the king james bible is named after james the first um his mom was a badass maybe mary queen of scots yeah Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and he succeeded elizabeth the first uh the most arguably the 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 monarch of the English Renaissance. She's the most identifiable monarchy of the English Renaissance. One of the most powerful women in or people in the entire of t- entirety of the Renaissances. So in his demonology, James the First of the United Kingdom, also named, known as James the Sixth of Scotland, because before Scotland and England were united, Scotland had a bunch of Jameses, right, <laughs> who were king, yeah. and England had none. So he ends up being the first king of England, whose name is James, and the sixth king of Scotland, whose name is James. He picks up where Kramer leaves off. James was the son of Mary, Queen of Scots, as Olivia mentioned, and took over the uh, the throne at the age of 13 months after she was forced to abdicate. The throne of Scotland, that is. He was also grandson of Henry VII, and so he succeeded Elizabeth I after she died childless in 1603. He survived the gunpowder plot and authorized the English translation of the Bible known ever afterwards as the King James Version. He was an avid, also an avid witch-hunting enthusiast. Or enthusiast, as we like to say on the podcast here. <laughs> 
<laughs> he was. Didn't heard that in a while. Enthusiast. He was. I, I reserve that word for people who are enthusiastic about things that make me annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> so, he was, in other words, a pretty major dude with a pretty disturbing hobby. Uh, if you'll indulge a metaphor here, he's sort of like the senior class president who got into Brown but goes around taking pictures of everybody's feet. Uh, okay. All right. right. Yeah, all right. So. I got it. Hmm. James's interest began with his marriage to Princess Anne of Denmark. The wedding was first conducted by proxy with one of James's noblemen standing in for him in Denmark. Apparently a thing you can do if you don't want to go to your own wedding. <laughs> That's, kind That's of pretty sweet, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to sit like, this one out. Yeah, you got it. She attempted to sail to Scotland, but heavy storms forced her, meaning Princess Anne, to seek refuge in Norway. James also had trouble sailing out to meet Anne in Oslo and was turned back by storms. Finally, the couple managed to meet and marry in person in Oslo on the 23rd of November, 1589. Then, yet another storm troubled the couple's return journey to Scotland. The various storms that beset the royal couple were blamed on witches in both Denmark and Scotland, and trials were held in both places. In Scotland, 70 people were accused of belonging to a coven who had gathered at Aldkirk Green in North Berwick to attempt to raise a storm to drown the king at sea. They were tortured, and many confessed and were executed. There was also a number of people accused and confessed in Denmark, but it was the case in Scotland that sort of inspired James. After assuming the throne in England, James published Demonology. He identified the incubus and succubus as more monstrous than most demons for their ability to interact naturally with humans. These creatures were most prominent in Lapland, Finland, Orkney, and Shetland, or Orkney, yeah. uh, and are not to be confused with mares, who are another kind of demon altogether, and yet another subject for another episode. Uh, so all of our evil spirit episodes really, with the exception of maybe one, are going to link together very nicely. Um, and, and that's kind of cool that I was able to come up with evil spirits that overlap. Well done. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh <laughs> Like Kramer, James argued that the demon itself had no sex of its own. The demons, he said, are not engendered naturally, and only naturally engendered beings can have sex. So James goes so far as to say that sex the way we understand it is not possible for a demon because they don't have a natural gender. The names Incubus and Succubus were merely a reference to whoever they happened to be having sex with at that moment. So if you're having sex with a woman, you're an incubus. Sex with a man, you're a succubus. This sounds a lot like Kramer. For it is a sure principle of that art that nothing can be divided in sexes except such living bodies as must have a natural seed to generate by. But we know spirits have no seed proper to themselves, nor yet can they gender with one another. For James, the only means by which a succubus or incubus could have sex with a human being required for them, them to possess a corpse. Back to Weekend at Bernie's. The incubus steals the sperm from a dead body and visits a woman in two ways with this sperm, or two possible ways. In the first form, he does not assume the body of the corpse, but transports the sperm in his floating body in order to abuse the body of a woman. So just sort of like sperm floating down the street. You're like, hey, that's a demon going to sex a woman. Stop that sperm. Um, I thought it was, like, uh, invisible. Not going down that street. <laughs> Turning and taking the long way home. How many times have I said sperm, Jacob? Uh, you're at 22. <laughs> are you making that up? Or are you yes, really counting? I'm making that up. I, I haven't been counting. <laughs> that was so confident. Well, it really would... felt good. <laughs> you all have talked to me before. This is just normally how I talk. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He notes a case in which an entire monastery of nuns were burned for being so abused. So apparently an entire monastery of nuns came up pregnant one day, and it turned out it was all just little sperm clouds floating down the street to the monastery. That sounds like a likely what excuse. What really happened mm -hmm. there? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Imagine. That's what I want to know. Just, you know, going to work and you see 25 sperm clouds just drifting by. See, that is like the ultimate, like, F-boy, like, excuse to be like, oh, man, it was just floating sperm. <laughs> <laughs> so now Kramer's version is the other way that a demon can sex you according to... James. So James introduces these floating sperm clouds, but he also is open to the idea that a weekend at Bernie's corpse could just deliver it straight to you. 
He borrows a dead body and so visible, and as it seems unto them, naturally as a man converses with them. But it is to be noted that in whatsoever he way he useth it, that sperm sees intolerably cold to the person abused. Breaking from Kramer and a great deal of philosophizing on this matter, James denies that it is possible for an incubus to impregnate a woman. So Kramer says it is possible to engender. Remember, we're engendering witches on eat the most evil of the Taurus Knights. <laughs> but James I feel like you is... need to pick a different sign if you're going to say that. Yeah, it's not as like Scorpio. Like ominous. You need to go with yeah. Olivia Scorpio. You're going with the sister signs then. <laughs> Perfect. That's us. Yeah. Uh, the most evil of the Scorpio Knights. I can bring it home. The most evil of the Sagittarius Knights. All right. Or maybe Gemini might be in there too. I don't. Oh, isn't know. that two knights? Wouldn't there be two evil knights for them? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, now we're getting into oh, hooray, horoscope humor. <laughs> okay. Um. So, James is saying that it's not possible. So he's breaking with Kramer. It's not possible to impregnate a woman. This is a theme that runs through this whole episode. So that's why I'm, I'm going to keep belaboring this. Tales of monsters got by incubi or succubi, says James, are fables. This is in large part because they need a dead man's sperm to achieve coitus. And the use of a dead man's sperm, lacking the heat of the natural body, fails to generate life. Even if the dead man's sperm could be given the necessary heat and strength to engender life, that life would be perfectly natural, since the sperm and womb are themselves natural and not of the devil. Heat is not the answer to that, right? <laughs> like, uh, I don't think you up. can just warm them up. You can just pop them in the microwave and then you're good to go. <laughs> and oh, then no. they come back to life? <laughs> I don't understand. It doesn't feel like the way to go, no. But James, I mean, it is kind of scientific. He's saying that, you know, dead sperm, like if sperm in a dead body can't just impregnate somebody. So that's, that's like yeah, a step yeah, in the right direction. Yeah, he was right there. Yeah. Wild. Yeah, so um, where where were we? If a demon managed to float some sperm from a man's testicles, dead or alive, and get those sperm to connect with a woman's ovum, the resulting child would be the same as if the man just went ahead and had sex with the woman naturally. So this was, we were talking about this a little bit earlier, that if you're using a dead man's sperm, that's just a human man. So if they happen to still be alive, those sperm, then like if you got them right away, you got them fresh, Oh, so it'd just be a normal... It'd just be a normal kid, yeah. You just walk the sperm across the street, no matter how you... Even if you were a demon doing it, you're still just... It's a total waste of time. It's kind of like a weird nuisance. Yes, (laughs) yes. Um, So there would... No matter what, James is saying, there's not going to be any giants, there's not going to be any witches, there's not going to be any monsters, it's just going to be regular people. Best case scenario... This doesn't even work because the sperm are dead. Worst case scenario, the sperm are alive, but they're just human sperm. So all you create is a normal freaking human. In order to account, still a weird way to be conceived, but you know, uh, I, I can get a, normal, uh, relatively normal, but traumatized. Sure. <laughs> yes, James. D- Continue. <laughs> James has opened the door for a sort of a weird event, though. He says. In order to account for a woman's belief that she was fertilized by demon seed, which apparently was a thing women were inclined to believe back in the day, James opens the possibility that the demon is actually playing an elaborate practical joke. Now follow me on this. (laughs) (laughs) He's just trolling you. (laughs) Yes, he's just trolling you. It's possible, he says, that the devil could cause a sort of hysterical pregnancy. And, depending on how committed to the gag the demon is, he could slip a monster into the hands of the midwife during the psychosomatic <laughs> delivery. He's just a really just a... weird, like, off-brand magician to be like, I got you. <laughs> is this just, like, an excuse to, for, like, kids that come out in any way not normal? I think possibly, yeah. If there's any deformity or anything, it's just... That's terrible. So, Are they called monsters? Okay, anyway. If you, like, switch them, how... What happens to the other one? Well, he doesn't switch because you had a hysterical oh, pregnancy. I got you. So the woman was never pregnant in the first place. The demon gave her a, hy- a hysterical See, pregnancy. And it she fooled me. Birthed so. nothing. So That midwife must have been confused as fuck. <laughs> I think we can all agree it's a hilarious prank, though. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe for some. I mean, it's pretty funny. <laughs> maybe from a bird's eye view. James says that it's possible, uh, but I, I, I don't want him to sound too nuts here because he also says that it probably doesn't happen very often if it happens at all. So they just don't, you know, feel like pranking that often? Yeah, they, it's not. Yeah. 
So it sounds like a lot of work. You had to come up with a whole elaborate thing. Satan's got a lot of people to go ahead and lie to and deceive. So to go at all that effort for one person, (laughs) yeah, it's it's you can't really that you can't scale that kind of performance. Okay, so this brings us to our last commentator for the day, who's going to take up the bulk of our argument, and that is Ludovico Sinistrari. Fascinating person. Lord, what a name. He is easily my favorite of the sex commentator, uh, sex demon commentators of James and Kramer and and Sinistrari. This guy, he clearly takes the cake. And and (laughs) I think I'll convince you that that's the case as we go here. Um, He's a 17th century Franciscan scholar. He lived in a town called Pavia in Italy. He served the Roman Inquisition, the oldest of the Inquisitions, as an expert on the uses of medicinal herbs in exorcism and as an authority on sex demons. His major work on the subject of incubi and succubi was demoniality, which is kind of like bestiality, except with demons. Hmm. Got it? Demoniality. Makes sense. In the opening pages, he explains that bestiality is sex with a living animal, whereas demoniality is sex with a demon. Just to clear that up for everyone who wasn't following. So would spirituality be with a spirit then? It would be spirituality. Okay, got it. Yeah, we have to change that word up a bit. Mm. He offers up a vivid account of the witch's Sabbath at which the incubus and succubus paired with witches and wizards respectively. He starts by saying that not all young women who believe they've participated in such a Sabbath actually have. Some young women only imagine themselves to have participated in witches' Sabbaths in dreams. This is just like a lady wet dream. But others actually go and engage with devils in the flesh. It does happen. So this is that classic image of the witch in the woods dancing around naked with all the demons and having sex with them. Nice. A dream. (laughs) (laughs) Continue. I'm trying. Um, (laughs) Got to pull it together first. Demons are very particular about who they have sex with, and they have a long list of requirements, Olivia. Uh, that the <laughs> That's why none have come knocking. <laughs> right. I, know. I know. Long day, list of requirements that the witch must satisfy before they get down to it. Oh, here's my problem. Okay. First, the demon will only copulate with a witch when she has abjured the Christian faith. Uh, okay. <laughs> pledged him her service in exchange for riches and carnal pleasures. Mm-hmm. swore an oath on a book cool promised to bring more men and women into the demon's thrall okay that's fine yeah undergone <laughs> a demonic baptism oh oh that's that's super fun i want to know more about that cut, that's all i got cut off a part of their clothing and given it to the devil to keep oh yeah hell yeah stood in a circle drawn by the demon Okay. See, it's a lot. I'm still not done. This is the process. <laughs> yeah. I have to comment after. Are you going to pause every time? Promise to murder a child or commit some other homicidal act of sorcery at least once a month. So any? Does it have? It can be any, any child. Not necessarily a child. No, oh, it has to be a child. Be yep. Yeah. It gets okay. a little dark all there. Right, all right. At, at once a month, a monthly child. Twelve kids okay. a year. Asked to have their names right. stricken out of the Book of Christ and written into the demon's book and received the demon's mark. Yeah, I'm down with that. So the child thing maybe is where we, we're falling flat, I hope. Yeah. Okay. Uh, can, can we draw a line at know. child murder here on Cult Confessions? Oh, I would, but if Brianna was here, I know, she that might, would be a more complicated know, she conversation. Might support. She would ask, but why are we yeah. sacrificing the child? Is there is there a good reason to sacrifice the child? Who would want the... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know. So those are our requirements. Um, Even then, the witch doesn't get the head devil. She has to settle for middle management. Assistant demons are assigned to go off and sex up the initiates, taking the form of a woman or a man as desired, or if the witch is so inclined, a satyr or buck goat. So they're open. Oh, you get choices. You get to pick. There's a menu. Equality. All right, well, we're going to 
introduce a new segment, as we are wont to do here on the podcast. A little something to uh, break up the action and uh, keep the brain, uh, refresh the brain. A little moment for the the consciousness to relax and the uh, subconscious to sit back and enjoy. Welcome to the Alchemical Actors Intermission Theater, featuring the continuing saga of Shannon versus the evil evilness. We discover our heroine, Shannon, as she is racing through the woods. In the darkest hours of the morning, she was awoken from a night of terrible dreams by the impression that a presence, an evil presence, was watching her from her open closet door. Without so much as turning on a light or anything else a reasonable person might do, Shannon tore out of her window on the second floor, climbed down the drain spout, and ran out into the woods. An evil that was watching me from my closet, you know, just minding its own business, is chasing me through the woods now. You know, maybe if I didn't run, it would have just kept watching me and and not bothered anyone. But no, no, it's still kind of weird that it was watching me, so it kind of makes sense to run, unless unless it really wasn't an evil evilness, but just like a, a coat or something. No, no, no. I can feel the evil right on my heels, and I think, I think I've got ahead of it. Except that now I, I've stopped the narrate, and now it's... Ah! The evil evilness ran Shannon down and kept running. As it turned out, it was chasing someone else entirely, who just so happened to have gotten out of Shannon's bed and torn out of her window only minutes before she herself awoke. Weird. Mythological links between the Incubus, Succubus, and pagan traditions abound. Just as the Incubus has his pagan corollary in the Seder, the Succubus has her corollary in Lamia, Lamasthu, and Lilith. This is the first Lilith mention. We're going to have... Lilith is going to span several episodes, so uh, if if you feel like you don't get enough Lilith today, more Lilith You can never get enough Lilith. I love her. So let me tell you let me tell you a little story about Menippus Elysius. He was set to marry a succubus, uh, Lamia, until the great first century mystic Apollonius of Tyana discovered that she was actually a succubus, a Lamia, who had been fattening him up in order to eat him. The entire wedding was in fact an illusion created by the demon to fool the poor bridegroom. Luckily, Apollonius was skilled at exorcism and dispelled the whole mess, revealing Menippus's near-fatal error. And this is a story we tell in our Jesus episode, as a matter of fact. So what exactly is Lamia, or a Lamia? The first of the Lamia is derived from Greek myth. She was the daughter of Poseidon and a Libyan queen. She's on a long list of physically attractive queens who Zeus seduced. News of his affair got around to his wife Hera, and his sexy consort ended up on the wrong end of that particular goddess. A classic tale. Hera's punishment in this case, and she was nothing if not creative in her punishments, uh, was super dark and child-related. So sometimes, often Hera's punishments are like you have to be a cow and be chained to a tree, right? The I.O., the, uh, uh, yeah, that, that kind of stuff. Uh, but this, this, no, 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 no. This was very dark stuff. She cursed Lamia so that all of her children would die. Some ancient storytellers say that this was by Lamia's own hand, that she murdered all of her own children, others that the children died supernaturally. There's also some talk of Lamia already having some children, Scylla among them, and Hera stealing them away before she could kill them, uh, and the curse kicked in. Lamia was tortured ever afterwards by the sight of other women with their children and became completely unable to sleep, a side effect of Hera's curse. She began stealing infants away from their mothers and devouring them in a cave. The horror of this cannibalistic infanticide transformed Lamia into a monster, generally depicted as a kind of mermaid with the tail of a snake instead of that of a fish. Pitying her, Zeus gave her the ability to remove her eyes in the daylight so that she didn't have to witness the sights of mothers and children which drove her murderous rage, and also so that she could sleep. 
but the fact that she only came out at night only lent greater terror to her legend. The Lamia has clear ties to the lion-headed Akkadian and Sumerian demon Lamasthu, who attacked women in childbirth or stole children away while they were breastfeeding. In Jewish myth, Lilith, she's back, the first wife of Adam, made the same, uh, made of the same clay as Adam, uh, was as opposed to his rib. Uh, so Eve was made from Adam's rib, theoretically more subservient. Lilith was made from clay. Adam was made from clay. So Lilith, according to the, the myth, was not as subservient. Uh, and she quarreled with Adam when she insisted on being on top of him during sex. Lilith, Lilith was blamed for causing epilepsy in children, uh, but the Zohar suggested that Lilith had another purpose. The Zohar said that she visits young men. So the Zohar is one of the uh, central texts of Kabbalah. She visits young men in their dreams and causes nocturnal emissions. James specifically links the sleeping man's wet dream to the succubus's sperm harvesting. So Lilith is a sperm harvester. According to the Zohar, Adam left Eve and wandered for 130 years, during which time he beget demons and elementals by Lilith. And also Nama, Nama, N-A-A-M-A-H, uh, daughter of Cain and seducer of angels. What a what a <laughs> what <monitor>. a title! <laughs> I would love that. Oh my god! Uh, so it is not just uh, Lilith is sort of like the first, the original. But then Adam got away from Eve for 130 years and shacked up with Lilith, also Nama, and beget all these additional succubi demons. Uh, And the Lamia, which evolved from a single female monster into a class of creatures, developed similar associations as seen in Philostratus's biography of Apollonius. She no longer targeted young children, but young men who she seduced and subsequently devoured. So if we loop all the way back to that story of uh, Menippus, who Apollonius saved, that demoness is not trying to kill children. She's trying to harvest that man and eat him. Been there. (laughs) We have a lot of, uh, or we have a fair queue of Scandinavian listeners, um, FYI. <laughs> I don't know if that surprises anyone. Uh, I, I love our Scandinavian listeners. Shout out to all our friends in Denmark, Sweden, Norway. Uh, that's the primary places where we are listened to, Germany. Uh, which is not actually, is Germany Scandinavia? It's not really, but it's in that region. It's cold sometimes. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> The point I'm trying to make here is we're going to talk about a Scandinavian succubus, namely the Haldra. The Haldra goes around naked, showing an animal's tail, which could either be a cow or a fox tail above her butt. She's not all bad, though. She's known for assisting charcoal burners, who were men who carbonized wood for a living. Literally make charcoal. Uh, And she helped them by keeping their kilns worn while they were asleep. That's nice. If you were polite enough when you met her, not to mention her tail, she would grant you good luck. So never mention a lady's tail, guys, if you notice it. Just let it be. Mm-hmm. Word for the wise. Enjoy it. Go with mm-hmm. it. <laughs> the Haldra's association with the succubus comes from legends that when she's not warming kilns and encouraging guys to be polite, she's luring men into the forest to have sex with her. If they satisfy her, she lets them live. If not, she kills them. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, rightfully so. This gives the female orgasm its due in the world of fairy tale lessons. (laughs) (laughs) It's important, okay? (laughs) Yeah, this is a story to tell your your young men and women as they are coming of age. But the Haldra is not just a party girl. She wants to settle down and have a family. If you marry her, she'll either transform into a monster at the ceremony or her tail will fall off and you'll get to have a really hot wife. (laughs) Wait, what are the qualifications for that? uh, Whether it goes one way or the other, you don't really know. I think you're just rolling the dice. Um, (laughs) So in a changeling myth that links her back to the Lamy and Lilith, she'll sometimes trade her elemental demon children for your human ones in the cradle because she's busy sexing a lot of men, so... She's going to have some children. The Haldra brings us back to an important theme in Sinistrari's book. 
Although other commentators argue that the succubus only tempted men in order to corrupt them or to generate demon spawn without feeling any attraction toward their partners, Sinistrari says that they actually have feelings and can be genuinely drawn to to particular humans. He tells the story of a Scottish boy who was nagged by a succubus nightly until his constant rejections finally drove her off. The incubus cajoles women into having sex with it, sometimes begging and crying. In Pavia, where Sinistrari lived and taught, he came across the tale of a woman named Hieronima who lived in the parish of St. Michael. One day, the woman set out her bread. In medieval Europe, bakers were a public utility, sort of like water or electricity, and they would come door to door to collect all bread that needed baking for the day and then bring it back to their ovens. So the baker came and took her bread, but when he returned, he brought back more than just the bread. He also brought back some cakes. But I didn't make any cakes today. These can't be mine. Oh, you know who put out bread for baking today? No one, except you, that is. Yours is the only bread I baked, and so whatever I baked must be yours. So these cakes have got to be your cakes. So take the cakes. But I'm telling you, it was only bread I put out. cake! You take it, you eat it! Stop busting my balls, lady! Dem cakes. Cake with a demon in it. Oh. What flavor is that? Okay. (laughs) So she took the cake, and that night, she and her husband and her three-year-old child and her servant all ate of the cake. The next night, a voice came to her in her ear. Has the cake been to your taste? Be not afraid. I mean you no harm. I am prepared to do anything to please you. I am captivated by your beauty and desire nothing more than to enjoy your embraces. Also, to make you cakes, and picture those cakes nestled lovingly into your very attractive belly. I am an exorcist. Demon, be moved! Ooh, I will not. That's all I've got. One night, he appeared as a lad of great beauty with golden hair and beard and sea-green eyes. Her husband couldn't see the incubus, only Hieronima could. Gaze upon my beauteous eyes and my flaxen facial hair. Do my golden locks not moisten your loins? You're such a creep. Get out! Perhaps if I'm mean to her like the proverbial schoolboy tugging at her uh, proverbial pigtails, it would draw forth her lady-doo. That's not the kind of thing I'm into. He resorted to stealing her things, her cross and a holy wax blessed by Pius V, also her jewelry. He began to strike her and bruise her, to steal her child from her breast and set her on the roof to move the furniture around the house and break plates and pans, restoring everything when he was done. One night, he built a wall around the couple's bed so they needed a ladder to get out. Later, at a dinner the husband threw for his military friends, the table and food vanished, and just as everyone was ready to leave, reappeared more abundant than before. Then there was the time he blew her clothes off. (laughs) Wait, what? (laughs) That was a lot to just... (laughs) A good morning to you, Hieronima. What a lovely frock. Thank you. The air was so still. From whence blows this strange gust of wind? My dress! My cross! Hieronima! Your clothes! They've blown off? Also, your jewelry, somehow? Please avert your eyes from my bosoms. Here, take my coat. Finally, the demon got tired of torturing the woman and just quit. I built a brick wall around your bed and blew your clothes off in public. I heard on this dating podcast that these are the fastest ways into a lady's renaissance, pantalettes. But by your expression, I can tell it hasn't worked out as I had hoped. Are you not into that kind of thing? No! Alright, I guess I'm done then. Just like that? Peace. If these demons plan to sex their desired sex objects, how would they manage it given the whole body question? taking this question to Sinistrari. Sinistrari offers a few explanations for how this might happen. It's possible the demon possesses a corpse, as in the traditional view. It's also possible that the demon forms a body out of matter on hand, sort of like what we'd call an ectoplasmic manifestation today. But Sinistrari offers a third approach that's fairly unique to him. He starts down this line by exploring the rumors that certain human beings have been the children of incubi. There's a theory that the incubus puts extra semen in a woman's womb, more than a man, such that the children begotten by the incubus are uniquely tall, hardy, bold, proud, and wicked. So 
Oh. Yeah. Romulus and Remus, Plato, Alexander, Julius Caesar, Merlin the Magician, oh. who was born of a demon and a nun. Let me say that again. Merlin the Magician, who was born of a demon and a nun. I'll buy that. The daughter of Charlemagne and Martin Luther have all been accused of being <laughs> demon spawn. I, I mean, you just named some very big people. So Sinistrari doubts the stories of these guys' netherworldly parentage because not all of these people were tall and some were pretty good people once you got to know them. <laughs> yeah, they're just like famous people. Really. Oh, yeah. Uh, he just did it like a Dante, sounds like. I don't and know. besides, says Sinistrari, most medical men believe that the size of a baby has nothing to do with the quantity of semen pumped into a woman's vagina anyway. Imagine that. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, these kind of like old wives tales, I feel like they're cross-cultural and they, they sort of span time. We were joking with some friends of ours uh, like a year or two ago. Um, they have two daughters and I have a daughter about what it takes to produce a boy. And apparently there are these old wives tales about if uh, about how far the penis goes into a woman. Oh, yeah, I've heard that. Because the male sperm swim faster and tire out quicker, and the female sperm are more in, in like, the long, the marathon race. <laughs> so if you can get in there far enough, those male sperm will shoot right in there and give you a boy kid. <laughs> that doesn't make any That's sense. That's so funny. It, yes, it's all nonsense. It's all complete nonsense. But it shows you the cultural depth of this. I mean, this is the same kind of thinking, that the quantity of semen pumped into a vagina will determine the character of the child. Something about that semen is changing something about the child. In any case, uh, if the demon needs a man's sperm to reproduce, the resulting child should be fairly normal. Still, if we're reading Genesis correctly, the children of demons are anything but normal. They are giants, and if not giants, something else called Nephilim, whatever that is. So if dead man's sperm or extra semen or famous pagans don't have anything to do with demonic issue, what do we make of the giants? To answer this, Sinistrari argues that... The Incubus demon, when having intercourse with women, begets the human fetus from his own sperm. It's a dun-dun-dun moment. That the demon is using his own demon sperm. Wow. Oh, okay. I mean, that makes sense. It's the first guy to suggest that demons have sperm. Oh. Remember, they were either floating clouds or we had a dead man. This is the first guy who's saying demons have their own sperm. They have sperm, too. (laughs) Well, that makes sense, right? They're... Kind of, are they, well, are they alive? It makes no more or less sense than any of the rest of this. (laughs) Well, I believe that more than. (laughs) Okay, so yeah, Olivia, Sinistrari is going to start to do some really interesting things with demons on the question of whether or not they're alive. He sort of starts to distort them into something more like what we would call elementals. Uh, So he admits that the idea of demon sperm might not be especially popular. Uh, And so he goes on to say uh, a thing that none of us on this podcast would disagree with. I premise that neither the existence nor nature of the natural things in this world has been sufficiently investigated to allow of denying a fact, merely because it has never been previously spoken of or written about. These demons are not pure. Not pure spirit, that is, as tradition has dictated, but rather have both body and spirit. They are quasi-human in this way, but Sinistrari is careful to point out that they are also not human. Again, we're unlikely to pass them in the bike lane or hold their beer in a bar fight. Men are made of clay, but these creatures are made of a more subtle material, like fire or water or air. Demons are more like elementals. They are slender. They have longer lives, but are mortal, and are more learned. It is also possible for their souls to be saved. This is why they are subject to physical fumigations. If you remember back to our demonology episode, we talk about this in our discussion of the book of Tobit. Tobit, do you remember this? Uh, Yeah, kind of. Tobit, Because I remember that name. (laughs) Yeah. His son Tobias drove off the demon Asmodeus, demon of lust, by burning a fish's heart, also the fish's gall and liver. 
physical remedies shouldn't affect demons if they have no place in the physical world, says Sinistrari. But Asmodeus, being a sex demon, is driven off by the water elemental power of fish organs. So he's basically saying Asmodeus is a kind of like fire elemental demon, and when you subject him to the smoke from fish, which are water creatures, it will drive him away. But it's only because as an elemental, he has some physical component to him. And this is sort of going to wind up our episode. This brings us around to Sinistrari's specialty and the conclusion of our conversation today about elemental demon succubi incubi. Uh, Jacob, can we just get a final tally on the uh, sperm and semen mentions? You were up to 56. 56, just Mm -hmm. of of both? Yep. Okay, cool. Yep. Uh, recipe, and that's an accurate figure, right? To, yeah, it is. It you is. You have a margin of error of two or three. No, not no. at all. No margin no. of error. I am... good. No statistics. No, I don't need it. <laughs> Nothing. I know my numbers. So, so to bring us on home, uh, let's get to Sinistrari's other specialty, which is recipes for driving off demons. We're going to close with his uh, special secret sauce for driving off a hot-hearted, hot-headed, or hot-footed demon. Grab your bag, and let's go hunting for some herbs, shall we? Gather water lily, liverwort, spurge, mandrake, house leek, plantain, and henbane. These are herbs that are cold by nature and drive off the hot passions of the incubus and the succubus. Like a cold shower. There's just some weird ingredients, but... It's a cold shower for your spirit. Yep. Mix well, and hang from the frames of your doors and windows, and watch your demons stand leering at you from just outside your houses. If you try this at home, write us, and let us know how it works. And hey, be careful out there. Olivia, let's open up the old Order of Confessors. Okay, let's gong it on in and get to it. Uh, Today we just want to talk uh, about our friend Christian, a chaos magician who wrote in to ask us uh, about the tracks that we're using on the dark pool. Um, So the dark pool does revolve around an actual uh, series of meditations that I created for some actors, uh, some our performers, a couple of performers who are new to the alchemical actors uh, as an experiment to see what (laughs) would happen, to see if we could open up their subconscious and if we would see some weird, funky things happen. Um, And indeed, some weird, funky things do happen, uh, as you can find out if you tune in too. The Dark Pool. Um, so on, at Christian's request, uh, we have gone ahead and added some the meditation, the original meditations, to the website for The Dark Pool. So if you visit the gallery page on The Dark Pool website, uh, you can check out all that stuff. So that's at darkpoolproject.com uh, to listen to those initial meditations that sort of kick off the whole show. And if you aren't listening to The Dark Pool, uh, there's at this point, what, like an hour and 20 minutes? Oh, there's even more. There's almost two hours of episodes now. They're in nice little 20 minute bites. So you can binge them all at once or listen on your way to work and on the way home uh, for a good, good spooky time. It's for Halloween season we launched yeah. this. So get it's out there and spook the yourself. the only art project we've really had. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, since quarantine, yeah, yeah it's hard to p- pull yeah. off some art. Uh, well, although we also have the Dunwich Horror, uh, that's another thing we did, and uh, we're going to be dropping that on YouTube pretty soon. So uh, if you have not subscribed to our YouTube channel, you could just search down Occult Confessions. Uh, Dan is also busy posting all of our videos. So the videos are basically these episodes, but Dan is adding visuals to them, uh, and he's going back through our back catalog and adding that. So if you could take a minute and subscribe to our YouTube channel, that would be awesome. And if you're listening to the back episodes and, and want to try listening to them with some visuals that you can either look at or ignore <laughs> youtube is the only place mm. you can do that all right let's uh let's bring this on home olivia i hereby adjourn and declare close this meeting of the secret order of alchemical actors till such a time as we get together and do it again our voices today included uh and we're limited to brandon walls sean priest luke kinneman uh, and also aubrey radford joining me at their own at occult confessions official mics from various corners of the eastern shore 
right? I always used <laughs> to say around like the mic. That sounds like you have a company that like you sell mics now. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're not getting into that. Yeah, it sounded You're so weird. Well, because I would always we, we the used to be the phrase used to be joining us around the microphone, but now it's actually actually at your at your occult confession microphone in a different area of. At our yes, own at your stations. stations. Joining us at their, joining me from their stations, we had Jacob Wheatley, Knight of the Dangling Serpent. Yeah. Goodbye. Jacob, did you 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 mentioned before we started that you had something in particular you wanted to bring up in this episode? Yeah. This is your shot so I, right here. I wanted to actually. Okay, thank you. Uh, so I wanted to. Um, I brought up the whole conversion therapy thing, and like, um. They used to call me like a incubus and a succubus, but like after hearing this, I'm very conflicted if I wanted to like own up to it or not. Um, they called you both. So, yeah, yeah. So I had I have to correct the one at least. Did they? I guess did they think they were interchangeable then? Because yeah. Well, they kind of are. Kind of like what yeah. Rob was saying. Yeah. 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 So you were a demon. Yeah. What was the? Is there a logic to that? Like, aren't you a person? So. I mean, metaphysically, well, it was like, Were so basically it was, yeah, it was like the whole like uh, dead body yeah. thing, except I am an alive body. So, so you, Jacob, aren't an incubus, but an incubus resides within you. That's it. Okay. Yep. Mm. Yeah, it's messed up. Yeah. Yep. Oh, well. And that's a PSA about uh. <laughs> I feel fairly confident that that kind of theology would not fly with any of the people we talked about today. Not that Kramer and King James mm. and Sinistrari <laughs> are necessarily like moral exemplars that we should all hold ourselves up to. But I think that they would seriously contest that. It's like funda- it's modern Christian fundamentalist thought. I, I don't actually mm. think that it's very well considered from a metaphysical standpoint. I mean, even a witch wouldn't be like possessed necessarily. Well, no, because you know the what I mean? yeah. So to me, that doesn't the make incubus sense. and succubus like, don't really wouldn't... have much use to possess your body. Yeah. So. Yeah, like, I think it was neither, just a I mean, justification yeah. to. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. and a yeah. shitty one. <laughs> and uh, I'm also joined by. I think that was. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that to. You're yeah. welcome. I meant the PSA thing very yeah. seriously. This is Thanks. a PSA Thanks. right here. Ending with a PSA. And, of course, Olivia Literal, our Grandmaster of the Order. That's all, folks. Uh, Isn't that what they say on that pig? Anyway. That's what they say on, on that, that pig. pig. Everybody jumps <laughs> on the pig <laughs> says that. You know what I meant. Anyway. Oh, my gosh. My name is Rob C. Thompson. Oh. I am your Supreme Hierophant. Uh, and I inv- I'm inviting you to join us next time when we discuss, in time for Halloween, The Vampire. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to get into Dracula and uh, some of the original fictional vampires and the inspirations <laughs> for Dracula and, and dispel some myths about Dracula. Um, he does not say blah, blah, blah. Bathory, blah. then. Yeah, well, yeah, Bathory. When we get there. Yeah, and, not uh, now, when we get there. And we're going to talk about some of the where the vampire legend comes from in Europe. So it's, uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a good time. We'll catch you next time.